hey, I'm Greg Johnson. I'm the lead pastor here at Restoration Church Wood Forest. We want to welcome you to our podcast today. Our mission at Restoration is to empower people to become world changers by releasing them into their full potential in the kingdom of God. So that happens in a lot of ways, but on Sunday mornings, we gather together, we worship passionately, and then we open the word of God and we explore the application and the truth of how God's word can be applied to our lives. And so today, I hope that you enjoy this message from God's word. Hey, we don't want this in any way to be a replacement for church. Let it be a supplement for you. But if you don't have a church home, we would love for you to join us any week at 8 o'clock, 945, and 1130. We hope you enjoy the message. Welcome to Restoration. Good morning. Happy Thanksgiving. So glad that you are here with us. Uh, if you are visiting for the first time or you've been hanging around and you've never filled out one of our Connect cards, today is your day. So uh, whether you're here uh, inside right uh, behind, uh, on, right in front of you actually, on the seat back in front of you, there's a little QR code that says connect and you can connect with us. If you're on the front row this morning, um, you can hit that QR code there or if you're out in the lobby this morning, uh, it's up on the screen as well. Just take 60 seconds, give us a little bit of information and we will get it back to you uh, in the form of a uh, phone call, uh, newsletter. We just want to invite you to be a part of our family, especially during uh, this holiday season, man, it's always great to have family. And so we would love for you to be a part of what God's doing at Restoration. And so welcome. Uh, we are finishing the book of Genesis today. We started in uh, uh, early June and we are finishing up today. So Genesis chapter 50, uh, you can turn in your Bible there and kind of hold your place. Um, Genesis means beginning. And so if you've never been to church, if you've never opened a Bible before, there are some on all of the communion stations, they're orange, you can grab one and then just turn the first book in the Bible, Genesis, beginning, go to the beginning go forward about 50 chapters and you're going to find us there this morning. Genesis 50. So we're going to uh, finish today, specifically finish the life of Joseph. If you remember, Joseph takes up 14 chapters of Genesis. So the last 14 chapters of the book and, and uh, find it pretty curious because he is not the, the, uh, the main conduit of the blessing, the Abrahamic covenant as it goes forward. And yet so much time is spent on him. And so it lets me know that there's something that we need to learn from his life. And so today as we're wrapping up the book, we're gonna see a lot of truths that are coming uh, out of this final chapter that kind of give us uh, maybe a jumping off point for the rest of scripture. Um, but, but, but as I was preparing this week, here's one thing that I uh, was really thinking about. I was thinking about perspective. I was thinking about uh, a limited view, which is, man, if you're on ground level, um, you can generally only see what's right in front of you, right? Uh, and, and you're you're moving and you can only see what's right here. For me, uh, if I'm in a crowded airport, I literally can only see what's in front of me. Uh, yeah, you got the short joke. Um, uh, but, but you know, from 30,000 foot view, when I get on that plane and now I'm flying up to the 30,000 foot view, I have a whole different perspective on what's going on. And I can see for miles ahead of me, for miles beside me, for miles behind me. So uh, two years ago, October, 2020, uh, 17 of us uh, took a hike through the Grand Canyon. Uh, I'm not gonna get into all the specifics of it. Um, you're welcome. Uh, but one thing we did the day before we took the hike is we went kind of a site visit. We wanted to check it out because we were, we were heading out from the trailhead at 5.15 the next morning. So mid-afternoon, we, we took off from Flagstaff and we went to the South Rim because that's where we were gonna leave from the next day. And so there's a lot going on in the South, on the South Rim. There's a gift shop where you, know, you can buy a sweatshirt to memorialize that you were there, <laughs> memorialize because I nearly died. Uh, and, uh, uh, but while we were there, there was an observation deck. And so we all walked and we were looking over. And what was really cool was that you could kind of see the canyon stretching out in front of you. 
And, and, and I began to try to look and see where the trail was going. Of course, I had no idea where we were going or the impending doom that would entail the next day. But, but I'm looking and as far as I could see, there was canyon, but I could see where uh, the river had carved out this trail and we followed the river for most of this hike. And so uh, there was something that I could see from that perspective, which was a little bit better. Now, getting down into the canyon, at about mile 10, about mile 15, about mile 20, my perspective was completely changed. You know, I think about, you know, when we were in one part of the canyon and, and uh, it was over 100 degrees, it was like 50 degrees when we went into the canyon, now it's 100 degrees and, and, and I'm like, hey, this is what hell will be like, literally. And, and uh, uh, walking uh, just one foot in front of the other and looking and I can only see just a little bit in front of me and first of all, questioning all of my life decisions, um, but, but, but even worse, uh, wondering, man, how much further, how are we gonna get out of here? And so, had a little bit of a better view from the canyon the day before, but man, there's nothing like being in the floor of that canyon and it, it, it changes your perspective in a hurry. Then we got on a plane and we flew home and we flew over the canyon. That was a different view. And then I got home as I was kind of uh, reliving that nightmare and I was looking at Google Earth and I was kind of going in and looking. And, and, and so there are two distinct perspectives, right? There's a perspective in the valley and then there's the perspective looking overhead. And so maybe your life would look like the view from the trail. And the view from the trail looks something like this. So if you look, that is a very crude trail. There's about a thousand foot drop off over to the right. If you are dehydrated, which I was. But look at the end of the trail. What do you see? You see a wall. Like walking, not knowing what's around the corner, not knowing, well, does the trail end here? Like, uh, are we gonna be left to die right here? I wish I would have been. Uh, but, but, you know, there, there, there are these moments that our lives are just like this. Have you ever felt like that? You don't know what's on the other side of the wall. You don't know what happens when you turn left. Maybe some of you have had thoughts of just jumping off to the right and calling it quits. I think about um, December 12th, 2010, I was standing on the stage at Woods Edge. Uh, my wife was standing holding my hand on one side. Jeff Wells was standing on the other side. A group of elders were standing behind me. And, and of my own choosing, um, I was telling the story of how I would no longer be on staff at Woods Edge. Incredibly painful day incredibly painful for me, for my family, um, being stripped of what I believed was my identity. And, and, and in that moment, I had one of two choices, right? If I'm looking at it from that trail, uh, moving up, not knowing what's on the other side, which there were many days that I did, it can be a scary place to live, right? Some of you are living that right now. But what if... What if you could view your experience like this? What if you could see it from a bird's eye view and you could see a point A and a point B and you could gain perspective that, oh, God's got something. I'm gonna get to the other side of this. I don't know how, I don't know what it's gonna look like, but what would it be like to view life from this perspective? It's the perspective that James was talking about in James chapter four, verse 14, when he says our life are but a vapor, a mist. It's there one minute and gone the next. Do you realize that your life is a blip? That, that this right here, look, I can measure that with, with, with just like this. That's not so bad. It was horrible, but it's not so bad. I mean, what if we could begin to view our life as we look and we go, oh, okay, my life is but a blip. It is but a vapor. Another way to put it, you got one life to live. What life are you waiting for? 
You see, when we are viewing life through our own perspective, through our own brokenness, through our own self-protection, we're always gonna see a wall in front of us, always gonna see a steep ascent, wondering, am I ever gonna get out of it? And God's goal, he gives us the ability to zoom out. So overall, as we look at the life of Joseph, uh, we've seen a guy that generally saw things from God's perspective. We don't know a lot about his thoughts while he was in captivity, in prison, but what we are told is that he was a guy that chose God's perspective at every turn. Um, Tim Keller kind of walked through these several different uh, descriptors of Joseph. He says first he was the innocent sufferer, Genesis 37, 38. He was the innocent guy that got uh, sold into slavery by his brothers. They wanted to kill him. They're like, oh, we'll do one better. We'll sell him into slavery. And he continued to persevere and trust God. Uh, The faithful servant in Genesis 39 through 43, uh, whether he was living in prestigious Potiphar's house or in prison, palaces or prison, he was faithful and God continued to bless him. He was an obedient leader. And just as 39 and 40, remember he's in Potiphar's house and remember every day, it says day after day, Potiphar's wife was throwing herself at him and he had to choose day after day to be faithful, to be obedient as a leader, even when he was tempted. He was a wise prophet. Genesis 40 and 41, remember Scott Pollock walked us through these four dreams that he interpreted and he knew that his wisdom came from God and he used that gift to interpret the purposes of God in other people's lives. He was the gracious brother. We talked about that two weeks ago. Genesis 42 through 45, when face to face with his brothers after 20 years of really being messed over by them, He chose to love and extend grace instead of vengeance. Then we see in uh, chapters 46 through 49, he is the loving restorer through his generosity. Now their family is blessed once again and are carrying out the Abrahamic covenant that was passed down to their family. And then finally, we'll see it today, a humble savior. In Genesis chapter 50, he recognizes that God's plan for him was bigger than his suffering. And that like the bird's eye view of the Grand Canyon, he saw point A to point B and that God's plan was to use him to save the lives of many. He saw the bigger picture. You see, without God's perspective, Joseph would never have accomplished what he accomplished. If he didn't have God's perspective, he would have tapped out at some point and said, "Mm -mm, I'm not going there. And God's blessing would have died with Jacob. There's some perspective, which means we wouldn't be here today. Okay, so let me catch you up on the narrative. We ended uh, at the end of chapter 44 a couple of weeks ago. So uh, to catch up on the narrative, I'm just gonna jump through these chapters real quick. Uh, in, in, In chapter 45, Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. Hey, it's me. They were freaking out and he's like, no, 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 we're good. Go home and get dad, go home and get Jacob, tell him his brother's alive and and bring him back to live here with us. And so he comes back to live there in Egypt and, and, and they begin to be blessed all over again. Pharaoh gives them the most choice piece of land in all of Egypt and now they are back on the gravy train. All right, Uh, because there was a famine, uh, a lot of people were hungry, but they weren't hungry because Joseph was the second in command and now they're doling it out and they end up buying a bunch of cattle. People were giving them cattle for food and and they're watching the, the, the blessing back in effect again. Chapter 49, Jacob blesses his sons before death. And he's passing on this generational blessing. So parenthetically, Reuben, the firstborn, he passes over him. Which you're like, well, wait a minute, they're all flawed. Why would he pass over Reuben? Well, this little known verse, it just kind of gets passed over. And in Genesis 45, Reuben slept with one of his concubines, Bilhah, by whom he had some kids with. And so uh, it's just said, hey, 
Reuben snuck in and slept with, uh, with Bilhah. And now he tells him, because you did that, this is 40 years later, right? Reuben, again, thought the coast was clear. Nope, you're being passed over. And then there were Simeon and Levi, if you remember, remember Dinah, the sister who was sexually assaulted by the Shechemites. And remember, it was Simeon and Levi who devised the plan. Uh, and I'm not gonna get into the specifics of the plan. It was genius, but it was super ungodly. It involves circumcision and, and uh, pain. And during their pain, they wiped them out. I mean, they brutally murder these guys. They take their, their, their wives and children as slaves. I mean, it's, it's a really bad scene. And so Jacob, as he's blessing, he passes over them. says, hey, y'all got issues. So the blessing's not going through you. And so now it's going to be passed down through Judah. Now, Judah had problems of his own. We saw that with Judah and Tamar. But here's what we know. Remember, we said God uses who he uses. This is part of the sovereignty of God. If he, if he couldn't use flawed people, he couldn't use anyone. Now, I'm looking at it thinking, why did he not use Joseph? Everything about Joseph was good. And here, Judah, he's got some issues. But what we find is the blessing is passed down through Judah, and it's also doled out to Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And so all of them are just kind of a part of this blessing. We don't really understand why uh, some got part, some got the other. But here's what we do know. The line of Judah is the line that King David came from and ultimately the line that Jesus came from. And so it's been passed on, passed down. Look at Genesis 49.10. The scepter will not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he to whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nation shall be his. So that is, that is him prophesying that the line of rule is going through him. The blessing, the generational blessing is being passed down. And here's what we know, that, generation, that generational blessing was a placeholder for Jesus. That Jesus is the fulfillment of the blessing for all people for all time. So we move into Genesis 50. Jacob has died. The family takes him and buries him in Canaan. They go back to the promised land because that's where he wants to be buried. And now they've returned to Egypt. And here's where we're gonna pick up the story in verse 15 of chapter 50. When Joseph's brother saw their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrong we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God, your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. So Joseph's brothers were afraid that Jacob was kind of their cover. That, that the dad's gonna keep Joseph from doing anything really bad to them. And now that he's no longer living, they're scared to death that finally Joseph is gonna get his revenge. I mean, I love that um, they're still in self-protection mode. <laughs> they're still just trying to figure out how to live to fight another day. And remember, Joseph is second command in Egypt. So he has the right to do whatever he's gonna do He's super powerful. And so what do they do? They made up a story. Hey, uh, Joseph, I was with dad and uh, um, uh, you weren't there, but uh, right, right before he died, he, he said to us, hey, forgive your brothers or be nice to them. Right? And I mean, first of all, it sounds like a lie, right? Like you've probably told your brother or sister, hey, uh, mom said you need to forgive me, Right? <laughs> But here he's just making, they're, they're, they're making up this story out of a sense of self-preservation and hope that Joseph would have compassion on them. So what was their perspective in that moment? Their perspective was guilt, shame, and fear. So here's the question. 
Man, his, their, their, their brothers, they couldn't see past their own failure, their own motives. They could only see what was in front of them. They, they could only see a ruler whom they had wronged, who had a lot of power and had position to punish them, to kill them. And think about this. After all God had done to get them to this point, they still reverted to lies, manipulation, and self-protection. So a couple of thoughts. First, who speaks a language of guilt, shame, and fear? The enemy. That is literally the language of the enemy. He is constantly wanting to remind you of what you're guilty of, how ashamed you should be of it, and you are afraid to go public with it because you're afraid of what people might think. Like as you're sitting there this morning, some of you just had kind of a cold sweat uh, wash over you because you know there's a secret you're keeping and you're scared to death that the person sitting next to you is gonna find out. And guess what? The enemy will speak that language over you every day for the rest of your life as long as you keep taking the bait. Because guilt, shame, and fear keeps you in your place. It keeps you from moving forward. It keeps you from living the divine design that you were created for. And know this, the enemy's constantly gonna remind you of your past. He's gonna remind you of your failure, your inability to right your wrongs. And again, it's the way he wants you to view the world. He wants you to view the world like it is an uphill climb and there's a big wall at the end of that trail and you have no idea how to get out of it. It's paralyzing, isn't it? Doesn't guilt, shame, and fear, doesn't it paralyze you? It gets you in a place where you feel like that you can't move. And so when you keep viewing life through that, you will assign intent to others. When you're living out of place of guilt, shame, and fear, you will begin to assume that other people are living out of the same place. And that's what they're doing. They're assuming that Joseph has ill intent for them. Has he done anything, anything to show them that he is uh, just waiting till the coast is clear to take them out? Think about your own life. Um, I mean, for me, if I were Joseph, when they come and I get that word, I would probably go, you know what? I'm done. <laughs> I, I, have, I have showed you in every way possible that I forgive you. I've showed you in every way possible that I'm good. So you know what? Off with their heads, right? <laughs> Did I reveal too much? I, I mean, at the end of the day, don't we all get tired of, man, you've apologized. I've accepted your apology. Stop apologizing to me. Stop saying I'm sorry over and over again. And so many times for each of us, we're like, hey, I'll go so far, but then there's gonna be a point where I've had enough. So you're probably in one of those two camps. You're probably in the camp of, of one who is living with a deep sense of regret, a deep sense of brokenness, a deep sense of fear that you're gonna be found out. And so that's keeping you out. Or you're on the other side of it and, and you're just tired of forgiving, tired of living the way of Jesus. We all have our limits, right? And you're like, my limits passed. They are no longer worthy. And it's bad timing because it's coming up on Thanksgiving. You got a lot of family coming over. Right? And you're thinking, I cannot wait to talk to them about this, right? <laughs> so know this, the enemy's goal is to keep you there for the rest of your life. Um, second, I was just thinking just functionally, Joseph's brothers had learned absolutely nothing I find it interesting that, that we have gone from Genesis 3 when sin enters the world and we've seen the cycle of sin. It's passed down, passed down, passed down. And now we, it feels like it's gonna be this beautiful redemption story, right? Jesus, or, uh, Joseph and his brothers are gonna hug it out. Joseph is kind of this Jesus figure who rescues them. And then they all have this big group hug and they live happily ever after. But here we're like just three verses from the end of the book and they're like, hey, uh, by the way, uh, Dad said, you need to not, you know, no more, you know, noogies. 
The story ends with a group of people still living in lies and deception and manipulation. Does that not set up the rest of the Bible? Does it not show us ourselves? We talked about it last week that, that in J James chapter one, uh, every Sunday when you come and at some point the mirror is held up to you and you look in the mirror and then your heart starts beating out of your chest because you realize everything's not okay. But then by the time you hit the door, you kind of live to fight another day. And James says, you're like the man who looks in the mirror and then walks away and forgets what he looks like. Maybe that's you. And they had learned absolutely nothing. God had used their bad decisions to protect their family and yet they continued to lie and manipulate. And know this, the goal of Jesus for your life is freedom. Freedom. The enemy's goal for you is captivity. And Jesus wants to set you free so that no longer does the enemy have a hold in your life. I revealed to you what my response would be. Sorry. What was Joseph's response? He said, Joseph wept. Joseph wept. Why did he weep? He was broken over their sin. <laughs> At every turn, Joseph chose God's perspective. And man, that just seems like, again, for me, I'm like, I ain't crying over those jokers anymore. I'm done. But Joseph looked at their lives and he mourned over their brokenness. Guys, I love you. I love you. We've talked about if you wanna find Jesus, he's on every page. Is that not just like Jesus and your brokenness for him to go, hey, I love you. Today for some of you, he weeps over you as you continue to, to, to lie and manipulate and just live to fight another day, he just continues to cry over you and say, I've got so much more. Think about James chapter one, verse two through four. It tells us how to suffer well. Consider it what? Joy, brothers and sisters, when you encounter trials of various kinds for the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Perseverance must have its perfect work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Man, that was Joseph's goal. He knew that all of the trial was just uh, an exercise in character building. And he said, from the time he was taken in to captivity, I'm all in. How do we know that? Because of the product of his life. Because he continued to live faithfully and God continued to grow him in his character and grow him in his influence. His brothers, however, man, when the going got tough, the tough checked out. And we see this tale of two perspectives. Here's how we know that they still didn't get it. Look at verse 18. His brothers then came and threw themselves before him. We are your slaves, they said. <laughs> they had been delivered into abundance. Right? They came, they, they, they throw themselves at the feet of Joseph when they didn't know who he was. And he blessed them. And now he reveals who he is. They are living in this abundant life in Egypt. And yet post dad's death, they come and throw themselves at his feet and say, we are your slaves. Is that not a statement of identity? Choosing to live as slaves. Living in the house of the second in command under his protection and provision. And yet, what do they call themselves? Slaves. We are your slaves. So this is a, a mindset of scarcity. Abundance all around them. Everything in the physical. Of course, we're reading this and we're looking going, are you guys idiots? Like, look what God has done for you. And yet they come and they say, no, I'm not worthy. 
of abundance. I'll just live in scarcity. I spend lots of time uh, talking with and counseling with people and, and uh, what I hear over and over again is most of the time, people can't see life on the other side of their sin. The reason you hide, the reason you're afraid is because you don't know what it looks like to live free. You don't know what freedom looks like. It's why there are so many repeat offenders in the prison system because they get out and they don't know how to live free. Like some of them intentionally get back in prison because it's more comfortable being confined in a cell than to live as free people. And some of you are exactly that way. You'd love the thought of being free, but you're not willing to do the hard thing, to bring it into the light for the sake of freedom. Maybe you've bought into that lie. Maybe you've bought into the lie that because of something you've done, it's ultimately gonna keep you from experiencing God's best for you. Well, let me just say this to you. If you are not dead, which you aren't, by the way, God's not done. If you're not dead, God's not done. As long as there is breath in your life, he does not waste a single second of your life. Not one. And so if you're living with regret, God's like, yeah, 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 I get that. I'm gonna use that. I'm gonna use that pain. I'm gonna use that brokenness. I'm gonna use those bad decisions as a seed for something that, that is gonna bring me glory. In fact, we said over and over that often your Ephesians 2.10 calling for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for you to do. So there's a divine assignment, a divine identity and purpose on your life. Jesus is the activator. And often you will find the path to your Ephesians 2.10 calling is straight through your deepest pain. Why? Because he doesn't waste a moment of your life. The thing that you would rather not think about, the thing that you're trying to distance yourself from, God's like, uh, hey, Let's, let's go back there because there's something I wanna heal. There's something that I wanna do and I wanna take you back in to that moment and I want you to see where I was working and how I'm gonna redeem it and then I'm gonna launch you into the world so that you can go and be changed in, in people's lives who've experienced the same thing. Come on, y'all, that's exciting stuff. Courtesy clap, I love it. All right, so... Uh, Do you see it though? He's always working for your freedom. He's always wanting to speak identity. You call yourself a slave, he calls you a son. Think about Jesus in Luke 4, 18 and 19. We talked about it last week that Jesus, uh, Luke 4, he shows up in his hometown Nazareth, he walks into the synagogue and he walks up and he looks through the scrolls and he finds uh, Isaiah and he opens it up and he reads Isaiah 61 verse one and two. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, rolls it up, scroll drop. And he says, this is fulfilled today in my hearing and your hearing. I'm the fulfillment of this. What's he saying? I've come to set the prisoner free. I've come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I've come to proclaim good news to the poor. Imagine being a prisoner for 20 years. the cell, open it up and you're going, I'm good. I'll just stay here. So again, where did we start Genesis? We started Genesis talking about the author being Moses and Moses writing to a group of people who had been in slavery for 430 years. Does that make this mean a little bit more? That the brothers are like, hey, we are your slaves. That was the identity 
of the Israelites. They saw themselves as slaves on the run. And over and over, we see God reminding them, you're not slaves, you're sons. So look at this, verse 19. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? He had a choice to make in this moment. I mean, think about it. He had 11 guys that would now be his slaves at his beck and call. He didn't say, hmm, wash my chariot, rub my feet, go make me some dinner. I mean, he could have been ruthless. He could have said, you know what? There's gonna be a season for you guys. We're gonna be good, but I'm not gonna let you forget it. Ever done that with your spouse? Hey, I forgive you, but there needs to be some serious sucking up, right? And I'll let you know when I'm over it. It's totally Yvonne towards me, not me toward her. She's perfect, literally perfect. Um, uh, yeah, but, but, but we look at that, don't we? I mean, Joseph had every right to be sitting in the seat of judgment. He had earned that. He had a 20-year time to think about the way he wanted to treat his brothers. And how did he respond? Bro, get up. Am I, am I in the place of God? He's saying, listen, I'm not here to judge. In fact, here's what we learn. What he's saying is, there's a God and I'm not him. So let me just remind you, in case you were wondering, you would make a horrible God. Okay, I would make a horrible God. And so would you. Because here's what we know. When you would see suffering, you would just go fix it immediately, just like that, right? Because we look at why God chooses not to heal some people and I'm like, ah, God, I'd, I'd, probably, I'd probably do that a little faster. But here's the thing, I'm not God and I don't know what he's doing behind the scenes. Um, we, we went and saw uh, season three of The Chosen over the weekend, the first two episodes were out. And so we went to the... Um, to the theater to see it. And um, there was a scene where he is just kind of sent out. Did anybody go see it over the weekend? Yeah, a few of you. So there's a scene when he's gonna send out his disciples, you know, send them out to heal. And, and he's, he's really empowering them and telling them what they're gonna experience. And uh, one of the disciples, Simon, not Peter, but the other Simon, he walked with a cane and so he comes to Jesus. Jesus has gone outside and he walks up to him. And I don't remember the exact words, but he kind of looks at him with tears in his eyes and says, hey, Jesus, like, man, I'm, I'm all in. I'm gonna go, but uh, why have you not healed me? And Jesus, with all of this compassion, I mean, this dude that plays Jesus, he is, he like, I mean, he's got a Spanish accent, which is weird, but uh, the rest of it is really cool. Um, and uh, so, so he, yeah, now you're gonna watch and go, oh, that is kind of Spanish sounding. That's weird. He was Jewish, Arabic. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Okay, so, um, so, so he, he looks at Simon and he says, you know, I, I could heal you right now. And I'll, I'm gonna heal a lot of people. You're gonna be a part of healing people. He said, but how much more impactful is it gonna be that you're not healed, but you follow me anyway? I'm like, Phew. Now, that's not in the Bible, so they, they, they kind of wrote into this. But here's what I thought. Man, this sending such a powerful message to each and every one of us. We are not promised that every single person will be healed, right? Here's what we're told though, to suffer well. Because when we suffer, when we consider it joy, that there's something that God's gonna do. And so if your theology doesn't include suffering, man, you have missed the point of the Bible. The entire Bible is written under the context of suffering. So it's this beautiful, beautiful picture. Sorry if I spoiled it for you. So here, Joseph is saying, hey, listen, I'm not God. I'm not here to judge you. And then he makes the statement that we sang earlier. You intended harm to me, 
but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Other versions, what the enemy or what you meant for evil, God turned it for good. Joseph not only has God's perspective, he's not only saying, hey guys, you meant it for evil, but look at the palace I'm living in, yo. I mean, that would have really been easy to go, hey, look, you're bowed down before me right now. It's worked out pretty well for me. No, he says what you meant for harm, God meant it for good and look at what he's done. In fact, the sum total of your bad decisions, your life has been preserved because of it. The generational blessing is being passed on because of your bad decision. Now put that in your theology. That God uses all things. Remember Romans 8, 28 is one of those verses that we love to quote. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So God uses what? All things. What are all things? It's all things. Yeah, it's not a trick, right? All things. He uses the good things. He uses the bad things. He uses the eh things. He uses all of them for his glory and for his purposes. And what Joseph is saying, and it's where, where the whole book of Genesis comes to a conclusion. Hey, listen, you meant harm to me. God meant it for good because look at what he's doing as a result. Seen. Doesn't say they got it. Doesn't say that they were like, hey, Joseph, you're so right. We're so sorry that we wanted to kill you and then lied to you. No, there's still miserable people who just didn't get it. And again, he's speaking identity over them. You're not slaves, you're sons. I don't hold your past against you, so why should you? Look at what God has done. He has preserved our family and he's done it through your bad decisions. And then verse 21, it says, so don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Don't be afraid. I got you. I got you. Joseph sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't he? That in your brokenness, in your putting up your smoke screens, in your sense of unworthiness, you'd love to, be, to move forward. You would love to do something that, that, that would move the gospel forward, but instead you're trapped in your sin. And he's like, listen, you're not a slave. You're not a son. I don't hold your past against you. Don't be afraid. I'll protect you. I'll provide for you. I, I, wanna, I wanna speak generational blessing over your entire family. I just want you to say yes to me. I just want your heart. What would it be like for your focus to shift today from your perspective to God's? Your small-minded, hey, Jesus, come into my plan and make my plan more compelling, which is the essence of the American gospel, Right? Hey, I don't want to go to hell, so save me so when I die, I go to heaven. And then just help me to do just more right stuff than bad stuff. What if there's something more than that? I mean, heaven's the cherry on top, right? Escaping hell, yeah, that's not bad. That's not a bad deal. But what if it's bigger than that? What if he wants to reorient your life, rearrange your life, transform you so that you're no longer living for yourself? Galatians 2.20, for I have been crucified with Christ. Now it's no longer I that lives, but Christ who lives in me. That sounds a lot different than Jesus coming to my life so I won't go to hell. That sounds like self-preservation to me. And that is not the essence of the gospel. You need to die. You need to die so that he can be made alive in you. So we're closing the book of Genesis, brothers who can't see past their shame and Joseph giving us these Jesus vibes. And even in their sin, Joseph is like, hey, I got something for you. I got something for you. Guys, move on. 
we're good. So here's where we're going to land. As you look at these two perspectives, here's where religion and the church comes in. You see the brothers and you see Joseph and you're like, well, I don't want to be the brothers. You've kind of trashed them today. So I guess I need to be Joseph. And so we go on this quest to be more like Joseph. Right, that's, that's kind of what, what you'll receive from today. Well, I just need to be more like Joseph. I'm gonna study these 14 chapters in depth and I'm gonna try to become more like Joseph. I'm gonna try to be better. Well, you've tried that and where has it gotten you? Because you're trying to be like other people looking by comparison. Maybe today you look and you go, well, I'm not like the brothers. I am more like Joseph. And I'm like, oh, good for you. That's great, right? By comparison, you can always find somebody you're better off than, right? If you can't, I know a lot of people in the room and I'll help line you up, right? <laughs> so <laughs> Middlebrook, I'm looking at you. So just come up afterwards. I'm gonna use you as kind of a case study. All right, uh, you know, I'm joking, kind of. Uh, so, uh, so but, but, but seriously, we think about that. Man, by comparison, we can always find someone we're better than, somebody we're worse than, and that becomes our gospel. Our gospel is, thank you, God, that I'm not like them. Thank you, God, that I'm doing better than most. So I'm more like Joseph than I am like the brothers. And here's what Jesus would say to you. Yeah, there's a gap in that. We didn't see Joseph's flaws, but here's what we know. He was fully human. We don't know all of his thoughts when he was in prison. I guarantee you he had some dark ones. I guarantee you it took restraint in those moments um, that he wasn't thinking the best thoughts about his brothers. But here's where that breaks down. The goal is not be more like Joseph. This whole idea of blessing it's just a placeholder for Jesus. So when I read to you earlier, all of the, the, the things that made up Joseph, the innocent sufferer, sounds like Jesus. The faithful servant, sounds like Jesus. Obedient leader, wise prophet, gracious brother, loving restorer, humble savior. Joseph is just a type a placeholder for the one who would do it once and for all. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 11 is, is really the hall of faith where we see all of these faithful people who have gone before. And look at what it says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out before us. Are you ready? Fixing our eyes on who? Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he must have read James. He endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Look to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. So that, that word pioneer, it's a very descriptive word. In, a, uh, in, my, in my time with the Lord a couple weeks ago, I was going through the book of Hebrews and I hit uh, Hebrews 2 verse 10. It says, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. So I was reading that and I just got captivated by that phrase, pioneer of our salvation. What does that mean? Well, so I started thinking about what does it mean to be a pioneer? It's someone that's blazing a trail. And so when we think about someone being the pioneer of our salvation, it means that he went first. He was the one that was out in front blazing the trail. So he was the pioneer of our salvation. And guess what? No one else has ever done it. Not only is he the pioneer, 
He is the perfecter. He did it and he did it perfectly. And he did it for you and me. And so I was praying through that and I was just, I'd been journaling a little bit and I was praying, God, what, what does that mean to be the pioneer of my salvation? And all of a sudden I got this cool kind of moving image. I was in this really thick forest, but I couldn't really see the forest because all I could see was the one in front of me and he had a machete. He was just chopping away in all of the thick forest and he was blazing a trail and it was Jesus. So here's a third perspective. Sometimes we have the perspective of that trail that goes up and there's a wall and you can't see what's on the other side and it's scary and ominous. Sometimes uh, we get that 30,000 foot view. But here's the perspective that we can all live in. That we can't see the trail or what's in front of us at all because we're very, very familiar with the back of Jesus' head. That we get in behind him and let him blaze the trail. See, that's what our relationship with Jesus is. It's us getting in behind him and saying, Jesus, I don't know what tomorrow holds. I'll guarantee you this, on December 12th, 2010, uh, my world came crashing down. And here's what's awesome. On December 13th, 2010, I got in behind Jesus. And I've never been the same. He's pioneered salvation in our marriage. He's pioneered salvation in, in my ministry. The name on the sign is, is my story. I've been restored. And guess what? The enemy doesn't have a hold of me anymore. I'm not held by the, the guilt, shame, and fear that captivates so many. And, and here's the thing, I, I was guilty, but God's rescued me. I don't have to live that way anymore. And neither do you. Psalm 23, four, even when I walk in the darkest valley, Fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Again, it's that picture of getting in behind Jesus and letting him lead the way. Some of you, some of the strongest leaders I know are in this room. And the number one thing you need to do is you need to lay down your leadership for another. You need to get in behind Jesus because he will make your leadership more effective to the nth degree. And you're trying, you're trying to make yourself relevant, to make yourself more spiritual. And he's like, hey, it's not where I want to take you. Get in behind me. Let me place a new trail for you. Lots of application today. You got to find yourself in the story. Are you the brothers? Are you still living as a slave when you've been called a son? Are you Joseph who needs to forgive those who have hurt you? Are you someone that needs to get in behind Jesus? Man, I long for you to be free. Freedom. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like it.